The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Goodnight Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Goodnight Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Goodnight Marilyn Radio, Nina Bosky. Relative humidity, 62%. The temperature humidity index stands at 70 degrees. And the wind is calm. Marilyn Monroe is dead. Apparently from an overdose of sleeping pills. But an investigation is now going on, and no final conclusion has been reached. Here is the statement from Deputy Coroner Cronkite. On the basis of all the information obtained, it is our opinion that the case is a probable suicide. Hi, everyone. I'm Mina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio, and welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Miss Marilyn Monroe. So we have a few shout-outs. They seem to be growing each and every week. Dave from Bakersfield, uh, happy hello to you. Happy Friday. Michael from West Hollywood. We have Melinda from Yucca Valley. Jen from Studio City. Hank from Doolittle, Texas. Juliet from, I hope I'm saying this right, Dumfront, France. Jean and Paul from Bascaro, Italy. They said that they were here uh, for the June 1st uh, birthday and uh, visiting all the sites of Marilyn Monroe, visiting from Italy. And Tabitha from the Poconos. And Adam from Reading, or is it reading Pennsylvania? We're going to say them both today just for that very reason. So hello, Goodnight Maryland fans, as we're growing each and every week around the world. And it is because of you and this story that we are shedding some great light on this mystery that has been haunting us for nearly 53 years. We are in season two. Today's show, Maryland, The Last Day. We'll be also talking about the Lifetime movie uh, with the expert uh, panel that, uh, you know, people uh, people have been talking all about this all around the, the message boards and the fans have been lighting up around this. And we will be dispelling fact from fiction as it relates to the movie that aired on Lifetime this last weekend, The Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe. It's a 2015 American made-for-movie television drama. Around Marilyn Monroe, it stars Kelly Gardner, that happens to be born on my birthday, uh, April 11th. She's from Bakersfield, quite a journey from a small town uh, to playing Miss uh, Monroe herself. Susan Sarandon, Emily Watson, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. It was a two-part miniseries along with a documentary that was called Headlines that ran after the movie. So joining us today to pick up where we left last uh, last week is uh, licensed mental health counselor and best-selling author Gary Vitaco Robles, icon, the lifetimes and films of Marilyn Monroe, 
volumes one and two. I'll just say this, maybe that really should be the next mini-series of the <laughs> biopic, all right? Immortal Maryland's Mary Jane Grey with 20-plus years of research and authenticating Maryland memorabilia, along with Leslie Kasperowitz, who's been with Immortal Maryland since 1998 and has been studying her for 25 years. So this is a panel that really knows Maryland. So... Before we get started, though, we have a lot to cover, and I'd like to thank the Voice America Radio Networks, Randall Libero, our executive producer, Mike Surgit, our engineer, Drew Masters, our talent booker, who's with me uh, right now on the air, Haley, who's now joined the team. I'd also like to thank the Goodnight Maryland team, the film crew who joined us on our press conference, Don, Todd, Lisa, Michael Hayes, Emily. Special thanks to Edward Lobo, who had fun interviewing people on the red carpet. And, of course, the Marylands who came out to celebrate, and all of you listeners who also came out and joined us, and the actresses that made it through the first round of auditions. We Believe me, we've got a lot of people, probably uh, close to 1,100 auditions, 19 of uh, the audition, uh, the, the people that auditioned, the actresses that did have made it. Uh, so special thanks to them. 19 so far. As you know, though, we have extended it to June 30th because our director is uh, off in Budapest. And uh, so you have a little bit more time if you'd like to submit. I would also like to thank our real-life investigation team, uh, Ricky Jones, who is leading the investigation, Mr. Salt of the Earth, uh, we just love him, as long with his team members, Daryl Connerton, who is Department of Defense, ex-Department of Defense, I should say, as well as uh, Skip McComer, who is ex-LAPD homicide, who is part of our investigation team. And uh, so, you know, many of you know that, uh, you know, what I was going to say is that on Marilyn's birthday, we we were obviously there to celebrate her birthday, probably first and more foremost, because as you know, Marilyn wouldn't want it any other way. But uh, we were able to make the news, the CBS and the Fox local news here in Los Angeles. And we had a national news segment, an entertainment show on the Insider, a segment that came on. So at this time, I'd like to bring in on uh, another uh, team member. Her name is Dana Kent, who's part of the Goodnight Marilyn team. But she's also part of the investigation and TV series called The Investigation Room that's in development as we speak. I think it's important uh, for, for you, the listeners, to have a better understanding of what we're doing and what our intentions are as it relates to the movie, the real-life investigation in this radio show. Sometimes it gets confusing. So, Dana, welcome to the show. Hi, Nina. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. You know, with all the additional interest from both the press event at the Formosa Cafe and the Insider segment on CBS Televised Tuesday night, you know, we, the producers, felt that it would be important at this time, actually, to make a distinction between the Goodnight Maryland film and the new investigation, as well as to state our intentions. And what better forum, really, than the audience listening to Voice America? That being said, um, an explanation. Goodnight Maryland is an entertainment film noir that has the backstory of the last three days of Marilyn Monroe's life to initiate both intrigue and provoke thoughts as it relates to the unanswered questions surrounding her death as it correlates to the emotional tone of the film, that is, that everyone has a dream, and how that impacts the two main fictional uh, characters. However, this is really where we must draw the line in the sand. Because the film content raised so much interest and awareness to her circumstances of her death, Nina and Voice America set the stage to open this dialogue with all the guests 
and experts and public interest. interest. This now has transcended to the development of a new investigation. Our investigation team has made the commitment to not only, to only, by the way, give credibility to substantiated facts, and our quest to discover the truth will only draw the conclusion that this truth leads us to, given today's technology and evolving culture. We all have been conditioned to this story over the last 53 years. We all know this. And we only ask that we all clear our palate, so to speak, so that we can apply only historical, substantiated facts and eliminate the hype and sensationalism surrounding her, her life and death to honor her in a way that is both compelling and truthful. We plan to bring forth qualified information that we all, including our audience, can collaborate to unravel the facts. And because we intend to investigate who Marilyn really was, we believe we will have an investigation with a heart. And what better way to honor her death than with integrity and truth? This will include a credible investigation team that has both the resumes to prove their merit, but as importantly, an objective to stay within our commitment to only conducting this type of investigation. And it is also important, actually, to mention that this will require unearthing information that is questionable, but required for thorough, for thorough investigation and examination. We ask uh -huh. that we all do this due diligence without judgment, because we believe only the truth will prevail. Thank you, you guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to set this, you know, to make this statement today, because I think that there has been some confusion in how we mesh this film to really what we're doing with this new investigation. But stating our intention, our commitment, particularly in this forum, we felt was very important. So thank you, Nina, for uh, allowing this opportunity today. Yeah, well, that sounded like a press statement in itself. So thank you so much for, for setting that stage there, you know. So, um, you know, a lot of people don't. Uh, Dana's been behind the scenes, but she has a real passion and a commitment to the truth. So uh, just so you know, um, the, the film fictional, 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 and uh, it is uh, hopefully going to be very much like an L.A. Confidential. It's going to be entertainment in nature, but the, the real-life investigation, starting with the radio show and now the uh, new investigation team, and with everybody, uh, what we're doing is breaking down the facts. So that way you get a better sense of what we're doing and why this panel is here today. And we're going to be talking about, you know, the things that we left off uh, last week. But uh, I'd like to introduce the panel. Uh, we've got Gary uh, Vitaco Robles, who I uh, introduced earlier. I have uh, Leslie Kasperowitz and Mary Jane Gray. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the show. And thank you, Dana, for being here. Hi. Thanks, Nina. All right, so let's start with the Lifetime movie um, because that the, that's the one that seems to be uh, you know really uh, bringing up a lot of um, feelings. Let's just say so. Uh, <laughs> it's been an interesting. I know I've heard some of your guys's comments, uh, Mary Jane. I'm going to start with you uh, on this. Is overall, what did you feel about the movie? Uh, the good. Uh, the not so good and uh, where it where it lies in fact and fiction overall, and then we'll start breaking it down. All right. Well, I'll start with something positive. Um, I thought the costumes and the set design were beautiful. Uh, the recreation of Marilyn's home was amazing. I was looking at little details in the background, like the light fixtures, and was impressed that they got them right. But unfortunately, they did not pay as much attention to the script as they did to the set design because there was an awful lot in there that was inaccurate, and it was um, 
fairly disappointing in that regard. Uh, okay. Uh, Leslie? Uh, yeah, well, I'm going to be totally honest and say that I didn't watch it. Okay. <laughs> um, I had a bad feeling about it from the trailers, and rather than throw things at my very expensive television, I decided to skip it. Stay away um, from it. I did completely. read all of the reviews of it and everything that Mary Jane, um, Mary Jane did some great articles um, that she published on BuzzFeed talking about the inaccuracies in the film. Um, and I do, I am familiar with the book that it was based on. So um, from what I've seen, a whole lot of inaccuracy from the beginning. So, All right. And how about you, Gary? Where to begin? <laughs> um, I guess I guess I would I would point out that Catherine Hicks' version, uh, an ABC TV movie of the week done in 1980, still remains probably one of the most accurate in depicting Marilyn's life. And I just saw so many inaccuracies here. Um, probably the last two thirds of the film were just so loosely based upon her life and the chronology, with so many glaring omissions, um, okay. which I thought truly. Uh, defined her, what well, was omitted. Well, let's let's break it into part one and part two. Uh, one of the things that I thought in the movie, um, uh, take the story aside, I thought the acting was really good. Uh, I, you know, obviously Susan Sarandon is a really good actor. Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Kelly Gardner. How do you feel like she, uh, you know, portrayed Marilyn, uh, minus the story itself, but just the acting aspect of it, uh, Mary Jane? Um, I think she did the best she could with a faulty script. Um, I don't fault her acting. She was doing, you know, what the script told her. Um, I think there were several moments um, where it was portraying her in 1962 where she was talking to the fictional therapist where I thought she really honestly did capture Marilyn's voice and mannerisms a little bit. So, I mean, she definitely did do her homework and you know, like I said, she she did the best she could with what she had. Yeah, I thought I thought acting wise, she you know she's one of the better Marilyns that I've actually seen uh, capture. That was just from my own opinion, just by the acting alone. Uh, Gary, what did you think? Well, I thought she did um, an excellent job portraying Marilyn as the screen persona. And I would have to agree with Mary Jane about um, the later portion of her life. But there were other periods where um, I thought Marilyn's screen persona kind of blended into her personal life. And we have recordings of, of her interviews and what um, her, her real vocal intonations were like. And um, I still saw very much uh, the characterized version of Marilyn. Okay, so let's get to uh, the the first night, part one. Uh, Mary Jane, what did you think was the most, uh, you know, uh, glaring discrepancies in terms of part one? Oh, my. Um, I think the biggest error, I guess, in part one was the way they portrayed her relationship with Joe Skank. Um, they made it appear that she had a, basically that she slept with him to get roles, and that's not what happens. Um, they were friends. Marilyn herself said to Maurice Alatel, um, Mr. Skank and I were good friends. He gave me encouragement when I needed it. He didn't do, do anything for me. I know the word around Hollywood was I was Joe Skank's girlfriend, but that's a lie. The only favor I ever asked him was later when I was back at 20th and I wanted a decent dressing room. So um, who, is, who is Maurice? Who's Maurice? 
for oh, the I'm sorry, listeners. Maurice Zolotow. He was a bi- uh, biographer and interviewer. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, just so for the people that don't know who he is. So, okay, go ahead. And and he said about Marilyn, uh, Joe Skank said about Marilyn, she used to come here quite often for dinner. I think she liked to eat. We have good food here. No, I never had any romantic thoughts about Marilyn, and she never had any thoughts about me. Got but it. in the Lifetime Go. movie, it was she goes to a party, she sleeps with him, he makes a phone call, she gets a movie role, and that's just not accurate. So what you're basically saying, the inaccuracy is not only uh, that she didn't sleep with him, but the in- inaccuracy is the fact that it makes it appear as if she slept her way to the top. Right. Got it. Gary. It, it also shows, uh, it depicts him as, as introducing her to Natasha Lightess and, and John Hyde, who then furthered her career. And so g- giving uh, Shank all of this credit for Marilyn's success, I think, really dishonors all of the hard work that Marilyn did. It really minimizes how hard she worked to make it to the top and to become an, an actress. It also kind of depicted her as, as not employed during these periods and not working. And we know, indeed, that even when Fox uh, let her go after the first contract, she worked for Rival Studios. She did films at MGM and RKO, and she did um, theater at the Bliss Hayden Theater. Um, and she studied with uh, many people. She, in fact, she made the connection with Lightess doing Ladies of the Chorus at Columbia, which was her first starring role in 1948. Well, this is this is very interesting in terms of of you know how hard she worked, and I think a lot of people have a misconception about that. We're going to take our first break, and when I come back, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the facts versus the fiction about Marilyn and her rise to becoming not only a worldwide icon, but actually a really good actress. You're listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio Season 2. I'm Nina Bosky. Today's theme, The Last Day of Marilyn Monroe's Life, Immortal Marilyn's Leslie Kasperowitz, Mary Jane Gray, and best-selling author Gary Vitalko Robles. And we'll be back in just a moment. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Mad Genius Radio presents Marilyn. For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com. Hi, my name is Nina Bosky, and I'm the lead producer on the feature film Good Night, Marilyn. Do you have what it takes to play the iconic Marilyn Monroe? Well, I have our director here with us, Drew Ann Rosenberg, and she's going to tell you exactly what she's looking for. Drew? Well, first of all, we're looking for somebody with great acting chops, and then we want a Marilyn who can bring that movie star sex symbol magnetism to screen. But there's another side of Marilyn that we want to find. We want to find the shy, sensitive, 
um, very personal and, and twinkly girl who everybody loved on a private level as well. So if you have those two sides to you, you might just be our Marilyn. So if you have what it takes or you know somebody that does, go to goodnightmarilyn.com and find out all the details. That's goodnightmarilyn.com and hopefully we'll see you in the movies. Voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Night Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. You're listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio Season 2. I'm Mina Bosky. Today's theme, The Last Day of Marilyn Monroe's Life. As we also discuss the Lifetime movie, The Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe, before the break, we were actually talking about her career and really how hard she worked uh, for her career. But before we get into uh, that, I also, Mary Jane Gray every week uh, does something for us called the Marilyn Misquote. Not the quote, but the misquote of Marilyn. So, Mary Jane, tell us what we have this week. Well, we're actually going to recover one because uh, they put a misquote in The Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe movie. At the end of part one, they had Marilyn saying to a reporter, give a girl the right shoes and she can conquer the world. But Marilyn never said that. It was actually Bette Midler who said it in Family Weekly magazine in 1980. And what she actually said was, uh, give a girl the correct footwear and she can conquer the world. And sometime around 2000, it started being attributed to Marilyn. Wow. Well, another misquote. I believe me, I hear them every day, and I'm thinking, what a great quote, and it's not Marilyn. So, uh, all right, well, let's get back to uh, today's discussion. Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe, we're discussing fact from fiction. We were talking about how Marilyn really did work hard for her career. Leslie, do you have anything to add with that? Yeah, I mean, the the idea that Marilyn used the casting couch to get where she did in her career um, is one that's been put out quite a bit. And the fact is, if you look at Marilyn's career, she spent absolutely years getting bit parts and um, taking acting lessons and struggling. And uh, she didn't get um, her first starring role until many, many years after she first started um, in the industry. Somebody who's sleeping their way to the top is not going to take that long to get a starring role. She also famously was dropped from her contract at Columbia because she refused a proposition from the studio head of Columbia at the time, Harry Cohn, um, and in return was uh, dropped and lost her job. So that's one of the most famous examples of her not using the casting couch. 
Yeah, it sounds like, you know, during that time, that was a, a pretty well-used uh, aspect of Hollywood. But it sounds like what you're saying is that she, uh, you know, obviously she worked hard. She was not a person who uh, didn't study her craft. And she was in acting lessons, dancing lessons, singing lessons. Um, I forget who it was that actually had talked to, oh my gosh, it's Catherine, who was married to Stanley um, Rudin, the, you know, producer um, of A River Runs Through It. And, uh, or the the river of no return, I should say. And uh, one of the things that she said is that she did not get a part because Marilyn knew how to sing, Marilyn knew how to dance, and Marilyn knew how to act, and she didn't know how to sing or dance. So, I mean, that uh, gives some credibility in regards to that time. You know, you really did have to have all those chops, especially when you think about the movies that uh, she was portrayed in. Uh, Mary Jane, do you have anything to add to that before I move to Gary on the, on the next uh, topic of this? No, I think I think Leslie covered that really well. Okay. So so Gary, unless you have anything to add, I would like to discuss the fact that this is a big uh fictional aspect of it that Marilyn Monroe did not really have that much interaction with her mother as a, an adult. Can we clear up the discrepancies as it relates to uh Marilyn and her mother and her relationship with her mother? Well, we know that in 1953 she did place her at Rock Haven uh, which was uh, a rather prestigious facility in California. Um, and they, they did not have much contact from that point on. And Marilyn relocated to New York in late 1954, which remained her home until 61. And, and throughout all of that time in, in the Miller marriage, she did not have uh, face-to-face contact with her mom. Um, and if, uh, you know, you probably have seen some of the Christmas cards, the mother signed her letters, um, Mrs. Um, Eli. Um, so she didn't even sign them as, as mother. So, so I think really what was happening to Gladys was that she wasn't as high-functioning as Susan Sarandon's character uh, was depicted. She suffered from a chronic form of schizophrenia, which she had many of the, the negative symptoms of schizophrenia, where there's uh, lack of interest in other people and inability to really connect and feel pleasure. And she was overwhelmed with delusions and hallucinations. Um, so she was not really ever able to engage in a meaningful relationship with Marilyn, probably since the very late 40s. There was a period where she lived briefly with Marilyn and had some contact with the half-sister as well, Bernice. Um, but uh, Marilyn paid all of her bills and, and looked after her. But I, I don't see any evidence of a relationship um, past probably around 1948, 1950. Okay, so are you saying that throughout this uh, television series that we see the interaction going in and out and Joe DiMaggio going to visit her mother, you know, is that all just make-believe then? Well, I'm aware of um, James Doherty um, meeting uh, the mother um, on a road trip, I think, to Oregon and would have been before their divorce, so it would have been the late 40s. Um, I'm not aware of, of DiMaggio having any contact with Gladys. Gladys so, had, kind of had been released, and she was working actually in um, a nursing facility herself and uh, married a gentleman um, and then was institutionalized again in 53. So with this brief period where she was kind of out on her own, but Marilyn uh, wasn't connected to her at that time. So, uh, Leslie or Mary Jane, is there anything you'd like to add on that? Uh, I think, again, Gary covered it 
pretty well. Um, Another thing that the movie portrayed that I wanted to add in never happened is Gladys never pulled a knife on Marilyn's husband. I'm not sure why that part was embellished in there. And, um, you know, like, like he said, she was so debilitated that she was not an active figure in Marilyn's life. And Marilyn had very limited contact with her because it was too upsetting for her to see her. She didn't visit her at the institution. Uh, she often would um, not open letters from her. Gladys would send her letters with razor blades in them. And she was hostile and, and violent, and it, it's very different than, than what the movie portrayed. And, and, and so, in, in her illness, she kind of rejected Marilyn because Marilyn had gone into the entertainment field. Now, um, Gladys suffered from uh, religious preoccupations, those type of delusions. So she was very rigid against entertainment and acting and felt that this choice that Marilyn had made um, was very damning. So, so in, in so really and truly, um, you know, not really a lot of engagement there. Um, did did Marilyn's mother know who Marilyn really was? Not not just as the icon star, but I mean, did she even relate to the fact that it was her daughter, or did she just call? You know, would, did she really have a, a deep understanding of that? Um, I think at various points she did, probably earlier in her life, but um, certainly through the 50s, I, I think she was very seriously ill. Um, I think her letters stopped being signed as, as mom and my daughter. You know, there's some statements that she makes about um, believing that Marilyn rejected her. Um, but I, I really think um, as her psychosis just intensified, um, she was less in touch with that fact. There's some discussion about even uh, she would see Marilyn or see newspaper articles about her and tell other people that I believe this is my daughter, and they actually didn't believe her at the time. They thought it was one of her delusions. But this would have been a good 10 years before Marilyn died. Wow, so so that's a, that's a very big uh, kind of leap of creative, uh, you know, uh, liberty there in terms of uh, creating kind of a fantasy relationship with Marilyn and her mother. The other thing that I wanted to talk about is, uh, you know, you ma- you mentioned James, uh, you know, her first uh, husband, uh, Jim Doherty, and what exactly was the relationship uh, with Marilyn and and uh, you know, uh, you know. Jim, because it, it seemed a little bit um, uh, adversarial. And I was, I you know, just from my readings, I didn't quite get that. Does anybody want to jump in? Uh, Leslie, do you have anything to say about that? Um, I, I don't think, I, she did live with them for a very short time. Um, I think it was a, a difficult time. I, I, I'm not sure that there was as much adversarial relationship as, as they're portraying in the film. Um, I, I can imagine that it was awkward and uncomfortable, certainly with the, the schizophrenia that Gladys was dealing with. And um, Jimmy, not, I don't think, knew her very well. Um, I, I spoke to Jim Doherty on the phone years ago, and um, a wonderful man. And he, he, never, he never talked a whole lot about... Um, Norma Jean's family at the time. I think they were, they were fairly well separated. All right. And anybody want to add anything before we move on? All right. Um, how about Arthur Miller? Arthur Miller was portrayed, uh, they had a very interesting relationship in the film. How accurate is it as it relates to the film? Uh, Gary, let's start with you, and then Mary Jane, I'll have you chime in. 
Well, it, it shows Miller as as so completely um, focused negatively on Marilyn about about the, the miscarriage, and there were actually three mar- three miscarriages during their marriage. And Miller was, um, at least in the beginning of the marriage, very dedicated to Marilyn and um, and trying to support her. And he certainly supported her through all three of the miscarriages. There's no evidence that he turned on her or blamed her. And she suffered from endometriosis. There was a biological problem gynecologically. Um, at least one of the pregnancies was a tubal pregnancy. And, you know, the depiction was that he was blaming her um, barbiturate use for the miscarriages. Well, which, he actually um, called her a murderer almost and said that she, she, he hopes that she never has a child again or ever has an attempt to have a child. That's a pretty strong accusation. Very strong. And, and he, he really believed that they were going to, to make it throughout the, throughout the career. I mean, emotionally, I don't think that he was able to really attend to her needs. And he, he began to kind of emotionally um, check out and disconnect. But even when they were working on the misfits, he, he wrote in his book that he had a fantasy somehow that, that they would get through it. And, and that's why the, the movie had such a, a, a happy ending about the couple um, working through their issues and not separating, because in the end, he kind of hoped that through making that film together, that would uh, rekindle their relationship. So that level of hostility, uh, I believe, was extremely um, fair to Arthur Miller. Who, he did some uh, negative things. I mean, uh, he didn't win any points when he wrote After the Fall, and many of Marilyn's friends uh, resented that clearly. Um, but she, he was very grateful to her because Marilyn risked it all when um, he was on trial for communist leanings. And... Uh, you know, she, he owed her a great deal for stepping forward to the press and supporting him. And their relationship actually helped his, his legal situation. So I, I, thought that was, I thought that was unfair. And, but you know, she... Late, Go ahead. Go ahead. And, and you know, we, we've recently seen some of his love letters to Marilyn um, go to uh, auction. So yeah, he, he did love her profoundly. The relationship didn't work, but... We don't, you know, have any evidence of that uh, hostility by the yeah, people who knew them a- well. I was wondering about that because when I heard that, I thought to myself, okay, first of all, there's only two people in the room that would have heard that. That means that Marilyn would have had to t- tell somebody that that's what he said, which I thought, wow, that's that's not only harsh, uh, but in terms of his journals and what you see, um, you know, that he wrote, uh, did she ever find his writings about that, you know, that he did want to leave her and that, you know, she, uh, that he wanted it to, to be over and that caused her to be that upset? Mary Jane? Um, an incident like that actually did occur, but not at in the chronology that it was portrayed in the film. They showed it as occurring around 1957-58 during her pregnancy. It was actually um, on her honeymoon with him to England in 1956 when she was filming The Prince and the Showgirl. She found his, his diary left open and um, read some things along the lines of that she wasn't quite what he had expected her to be, that um, Laurence Olivier had, had called her something quite unflattering, and he said he was finding it difficult to be able to defend her against that, and, and she was very, very hurt by it. Um, but they overcame that. They worked it out amongst themselves, came back to America, and actually the period of her first pregnancy with him in, in 1957 is one of the most idyllic times in their marriage. They were um, staying at their home in Connecticut, fixing it up, and they were 
by all accounts, really happy with one another at that time. Wow. Well, and it's, it's, you know, they were married, what is it, for five years that they were married, actually? Yes. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, so we have, you know, the Arthur Miller depiction of, you know, kind of fact and fiction, the realities of the relationship versus what they were, you know, uh, displayed in, in the movie. How about Joe DiMaggio? I mean, that one was, a, you know, that was interesting. You hear things, obviously, that he gave her the silent treatment. That's pretty well known. Uh, but this took it to a, another, you know, level. How, how accurate was that in terms of their relationship? Uh, Leslie? Uh, Joe and Marilyn obviously were not married for a very long time, which is very telling in and of itself. Um, the accusations of physical violence, um, there's been people who have said it did happen and people have said that it didn't. Um, I do think that they argued and that there may have been some physical activity, but there's never been that I know of any uh, physical evidence to prove it. Um, there was a claim at one point that after the um, filming of the seven-year itch subway scene that they had a big fight that night and that Joe had struck her at that time. But there are photographs taken of Marilyn the next day that show no signs of any bruises or any trauma to her body. So it's difficult to say what the actual truth is of things that happened behind closed doors. And Gary, anything on that? Well, I, I go back to um, Gladys Rasmussen, who was the Fox um, hairdresser, and Alan Whitey Snyder, the, the uh, makeup artist, and they both did uh, disclose that they would have to, they saw the bruises and that um, they would have to be covered by cosmetics. And Amy Green also reports being uh, a witness um, to some of that, as, as well as Marilyn's disclosures about it. Yeah, and Mary Jane? Um, again, I just, I concur with what both of them said, is, yeah. is that there's really no way of knowing for sure what happened behind closed doors, but, um, he, like, the movie portrayed him as, you know, smacking her around quite often, and there's really nothing to support that. Yeah, what, yeah. What I found, um, interesting about their blind date, they were, they were actually on a chaperone blind date. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and you see them, <laughs> you know, just so passionate and, you know, immediately it becomes so physical. And, and, um, what we know about what happened is that, is that it was a blind date. Marilyn drove him back to the Knickerbocker, but she was so impressed that this was a guy who went on a date with her and never made a pass at her that she found that just so delightful and refreshing that that is what attracted her to him. I think they drove around Los Angeles for three hours before she dropped him off, and I think she told Natasha Lightest that it had been like weeks before he ever made a pass at her. So she saw that as an indication that he would be someone she'd be interested in, in getting to know better. That's All right, how he well, proved himself. Well, on that note, let's take a brief break. You're listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio Season 2. I'm Nina Bosky, and we will be back in just a moment. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com Mad Genius Radio presents Marilyn. 
For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. All right, everybody. Good night, Marilyn Radio. Season two, we are actually talking about Marilyn Monroe's life, but as it relates to the Lifetime movie last week, The Secret uh, Life of Marilyn Monroe. With me is Gary Vitaco Robles, icon, The Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe, volume one and two. I think that's the next uh, miniseries. You heard me say it. Uh, then we have Immortal Marilyn's Leslie Kasperowitz and Mary Jane Gray, who is with us talking about the fact and fiction of that movie. So before the break, we were talking about Joe DiMaggio. We kind of uh, outlined that there is obviously some some fact around the f- fact that he he gave her the silent treatment. There was anger. We can't completely verify whether or not, uh, you know, there was more violent behavior in terms of physical behavior, but uh, I don't think at this point that she was smacked around the, as harshly as that was. Is, is that something that we've all kind of decided is the, is the truth around that? Likely. Yeah, I Likely. agree with that. Okay. So, so as, we, as we continue down the, the Lifetime movie, is there anything else in regards to that movie that we really need to understand that, you know, was not the truth and that really needs to be called out today? Uh, I think the Kennedy people, stuff. Or, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. As always. <laughs> so let's talk about the Kennedy stuff. How accurate is, uh, you know, we've, we've addressed that several times on, on the radio show, but for people who may be just listening in for the first time or really need to understand some of the facts that we know, not so much the theories, but the fact of, of their relationship, let's just discuss it briefly. Mary Jane? Well, I will say they got one aspect correct, which was that there was only the possibility of anything happening between them on one single occasion, which was at a party at Bing Crosby's house in Palm Springs. Um, And that was where getting things correct ended. (laughs) So, you know, because it keeps talking about, you know, and this, this, I see this on on the message boards as well. People go back and forth with this one. You know, how much of it did she say, oh, my gosh, I thought I was going to become, you know, Mrs., uh, you know, JFK? I mean, that seems to go back and forth where people think that that actually happened versus it didn't happen. What is the truth about what she said and what she didn't say around that? It didn't happen. (laughs) Um, All of these Kennedy rumors can be traced back to one of a handful of discredited sources, Um. Robert Slatzer, as we've brought up many, many times, um, Marilyn was not 
this delusional, clingy woman who, you know, would have something and, you know, have, have an intimate encounter with somebody and then become in- obsessed about it. It flies in the face of everything we know about her character. She was smarter than that. Around that time period in her life in 1962, she was finding a new independence, finding her own voice, but yet she's portrayed as this just overwrought woman who's completely out of her mind. And it, it, there's just there's zero evidence to support it. And it just... It, it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when when just, you look at the different claims, like, oh, she said I was, uh, she was going to be first lady, or, oh, she was calling them and they weren't answering her, it all goes back to two or three discredited sources who right. came up with it to sell books. Okay. Well, we have a caller, uh, Lisa from Nevada. Uh, are, you, are you there? Yes, Hello? I'm there. Okay. Hi. What's your question? Hi. Um, first of all, I just wanted to say I love you guys' show. You guys are awesome. So, <laughs> Thank you. Um, my uh, question is, when Marilyn died, what did Arthur Miller say about her death? Well, that's a good question. What uh, You know, we hear a lot about Joe. What was Arthur's reaction in regards to Marilyn, uh, Marilyn's passing? Very little, actually. Um, he, he did not send flowers. His children sent, sent flowers. He told the press that he would not um, be attending the funeral. He felt as if it would be a circus. And um, I believe his, his uh, new wife was pregnant at the time. So um, he, was, he was absent and not very vocal. And later, uh, you know, either in one of his books or later interviews, did he ever address how he felt? Oh, he, yeah, he, he really opened his heart in several books. He, he said that he uh, actually couldn't believe that she had died, and um, he would go back to their, to their house in Amangasset that they once uh, rented. He continued to live in their home in Connecticut, which, which Marilyn had renovated and decorated. Um, and he, he talked about sometimes when he'd sit back and, and kind of imagine that he'd see her walking up the lawn. Wow. Um, so, and one yeah, of his last wishes was actually to go to the house in Amangasset and, and kind of view it one last time before he died, indicating that he had a lot of uh, tender feelings about the happy days they spent together in Long Island. Interesting. Yeah, you hear a lot about uh, Joe DiMaggio, but not a lot about uh, what Arthur might have felt. And obviously they had a, a long, uh, long-term long and, and very evolved and, uh, uh, you know, a bond between the two of them. Let's get back to the movie, though. Uh, one of the things that I thought was, um, uh, for me, very distinct it disturbed me is how they represented her as, um, you know, almost like a pill popping, you know, having these mental issues all over the place. I know some of them, you know, um, you know, obviously we've talked about her, her mental capacity. Um, we've talked about the medication and uh, and the pills that she was taking towards the end of her life. But Gary, how accurate was the, you know, how they displayed her in this movie? Well, I, I think they missed the boat completely on what her issue was, which, which was her depression. You know, the sexual abuse early in her childhood by three separate offenders was not addressed, and that ultimately shaped the rest of her life. And um, she suffered from pretty serious depression, um, and her medications, of course, uh, were, were prescribed for her. But I don't think the depression was addressed. And when you read her journals... And um, you hear the anguish inside of her. You hear her ambivalence about life and death at some times. 
Um, none of that was depicted. Um, probably the closest was the the suicide gesture when she went to the window. That's fairly accurate, according to Ralph Roberts, and, and that's what led to her uh, hospitalization at um, Payne Whitney. Um, but it wasn't psychosis. She was really suicidal, and, and, and Marianne Chris felt that she needed to be committed and actually talked Marilyn into voluntarily committing herself, but she wasn't psychotic there. And the staff was very protective of her. Um, one of the nurses went on record uh, with Life magazine in the later 60s and, and said that you know, Marilyn pleaded to leave, and at, and at one point even there's a letter that Marilyn wrote about the entire experience at Payne Whitney, and she says that she did break um, the window in her door with a chair to um, try to negotiate with the staff to let her leave, and she took a shard of glass and threatened to hurt herself if they did not let her go. And um, so she was deemed as acutely uh, threatening to herself. She was put on the floor for um, uh, the most severely disturbed patients. Um, but they and believed that... that- and in that room, was that the room that, I mean, you know, you see her in kind of a straitjacket in this kind of padded room. Is that where she was? Well, she was in seclusion, I think, for about 48 hours. Now, as far as being straitjacketed, um, uh, I, I don't know about that, but she was carried to her room. She tells Dr. Greenson in the letter that, that she had no intention of hurting herself. Of course, this is now her writing after the crisis, and she might want it to have portrayed it to be differently than what it was, but she said she really did not intend to hurt herself, but she was trying to find a way to bargain her release, not that that would. Um, but she says her inspiration was from the character in Don't Bother to Knock, um, who actually does I use a, a razor blade and, and threatens to hurt herself in the lobby of a hotel. And she says she was... Um, her, her whole experience, though, at the hospital, she says she always wor- worried that she would be acutely like psychotic at some point like her mother, but when she was truly around so many other patients that were very seriously and chronically ill, it actually uh, empowered her, and, um, and she realized that, that she was much stronger than she thought. She wasn't that ill, and that gave her a lot of hope. How long was she actually there? She was there from, I think, around the 5th of February um, to about the 10th, and then she was transferred to Columbia Presbyterian. So she was there less than a week, and um, DiMaggio arranged for the transfer. She remained at Columbia Presbyterian until early March. So in all, she was in the hospital for about a month. Exactly. And, and, and Mary Jane or Leslie, do you want to any, add anything before we get to one other aspect of the movie? I think just the reason for having been in the hospital, which um, is made to appear quite different in the film than it really was, um, the hospitalization followed on the end of her marriage, the death of Clark Gable, um, the filming of The Misfits, which were all extremely exhausting and difficult for her. Um, It had absolutely nothing to do with the Kennedys or anything else. Um, it, It was to do with all the things that were going on in her life that had completely exhausted and and driven her to a very difficult place. And you, what year was this when she actually uh, February was... of 61. She was divorced um, January 20th, and she was in the hospital by about February 5th, so very shortly after the divorce from Miller. 
Wow. Okay. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of trauma going on in her life at that moment uh, as well. So, you know, anybody that uh, is working as much as she is and going through uh, a marriage crisis and, you know, at the height of fame uh, that she was as well uh, with the, you know, the foundation of her life in terms of her, you know, um, her mental uh, kind of uh, uh, family genes as well as her own, uh, you know, depression that, that she might have had. One of the other aspects of this uh, film is they don't address her sexual abuse early on. Uh, Gary, do you want to address that? And then we'll have Mary Jane and uh, uh, Leslie also comment. Well, that's what I kind of found so so shocking because, it, you know, she was the first public figure to publicly disclose childhood sexual abuse, which was such a tremendously brave thing for a woman to do in the 1950s when this social problem was was denied. I mean, we've only really begun talking openly about it most recently. And, and, you know, in the days of Oprah and Dr. Phil, you know, we hear it all the time. But in 1954, when she first um, uh, released my story, which went into syndication in a a magazine, um, she disclosed it for the first time. uh, And um, she talked... She sanitized it to some degree. The first offender was most likely a tenant of her mother's, um, but she frames it as a tenant of um, a foster parent. It most likely occurred during the brief period she lived with her mother before her her mother's um, psychiatric decompensation, and it probably went on for a period of time. Um, She frames it as as molestation, but she told other people privately it had gone on for a significant length of time. And then her guardian's husband, she told um, James Doherty and, and other folks that um, Grace's husband uh, had molested her. And the, the film kind of very briefly touched on it with, I think, the character saying, Doc Goddard uh, thinks you're too, and then kind of trails off, uh, almost to suggest that she's maybe too provocative. But the reality is he had an alcohol problem, and Marilyn told many people that he had molested her. Um, and then her cousin, she lived uh, briefly with a cousin around 12 or 13, um, her aunt um, and her three children. They lived in, in poverty, and the older cousin um, sexually assaulted her. And um, we know from the other children in the family who are aware of it that she, she bathed for, for days afterwards and got really no support from anyone in her childhood. None of this was ever addressed in her childhood. And it really is heartbreaking. And yeah, that when has you, a big impact on, on, on a woman and on her relationships. I would say so. And that's, that's not just a, a one-time thing. You're talking significant with the foundation of her life. Leslie or Mary Jane, do you want to add to that at all? Uh, I just want to uh, reiterate what Gary said about how significant it was that she spoke about this. Um, in the 1950s, I mean, that was an era where the victim was blamed, that it was, don't you ruin this nice man's name and don't ruin his reputation and say terrible things about him. And um, if this happened, you must have done something wrong. So for her to stand up and speak about that is a tremendous thing. And she should really be recognized and get more credit for that than she does. Yeah, especially during that time frame. And Leslie, uh, one last thing that you'd like to uh, to add before we close a, another uh, Good Night Maryland radio show. 
Um, I think just that that trauma in her childhood had, as Gary said, a tremendous impact on her. And a lot of um, the depression and the issues with relationships later in her life were most likely um, influenced by that childhood trauma. Um, and a lot of the, the problems that she had, not as she was portrayed in the movie, as, as psychotic, but were more, um, more related to depression and yeah. um, probably coming out of a lot of that trauma. All right. The panel has spoken. We have uh, depicted what exactly was fact versus fiction in the movie The Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe. There you have it. A creative movie, but not necessarily uh, based on a lot of fact and what we know Marilyn Monroe's life was like. I'd like to thank Gary Vitaco Robles. Please pick up his book. If you want to read a book that's much more accurate, you could tell this man knows his information. Icon, The <laughs> Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Volumes 1 and 2. Immortal Marilyn, Mary Jane Grey, Lots of research, lots of great interviews, uh, memorabilia uh, expert if you have anything you'd like to authenticate. Leslie Kasperowitz, you have been a part of Immortal Maryland doing interviews as well for over 25 years in terms of the Maryland expert. Thank you guys so much. We'll continue the conversation next week in the last day of Marilyn Monroe's life. Thank you for being here. I'm Nina Bosky. And remember, until next time, never stop dreaming. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week. <music>